So let's take our Bibles. We're working verse by verse through an epistle that God has given to us by the author of Paul, written to Timothy, to the church there in Ephesus. And so we're going to focus on 1 Timothy chapter 5 today in a text that uh, maybe you're not too familiar with. It's one of those that maybe you think didn't quite relate to you and just kind of moved right past it. But we're going to focus on this. This is a good thing about going verse by verse is it really challenges us to stop and think about verses that maybe we have not thought about. So last week we were focusing on people who need care and support and that God has given family to be the safety net for those folks, particularly widows who are in need and the family is meant to be that care and compassion even financial support that they may need and we're appreciative that God gives that to them but perhaps some are without families and the focus of last week was now church we ought to move forward and help widows who have no family to provide for them caring for them nurturing them uh, spiritually, emotionally, financial, whatever the case is, we, we ought to be moving towards them. And so we were talking about honoring them by revealing that kind of care and grace that God would have for us too. And when we do so, we're de demonstrating godliness and God sees that and according to him and his word, he sees that and he is pleased. So if you're active towards widows who are in need, God is seeing that and he is pleased with that. And he will reward you for your faithfulness and care. Today, we're looking on into the next part of the scripture, which focuses on how some women can have significant ministry and impact on others. So the previous verses concentrated on the church and family, primarily family and then church, helping and impacting vulnerable women who might be in need their husbands are not there to provide for them, so the family and the church moves towards them. And then following those verses about us ministering well to women is a section about women ministering well. So Paul is moving from focusing on the ministry to widows to the focus of widows doing ministry. And so he's going to take that in, a, in another, another direction. So the passage is communicating both to women and men God's great design for women of all ages. It develops younger women to have significant ministry impact among their families, and it also speaks to older women as well to really disciple that younger generation and to live honorably, demonstrating a life of godliness. Now, for all the men in the house, you might be thinking, what am I doing here? We're talking about women, we're talking about women's ministry, we're talking about widows, both young and old. What, what am I doing here? And I'll be honest with you, I was challenged with that this past week as well. In fact, I prayed many a time, Lord, how am I going to communicate this passage so that it addresses everybody in the house? And then it dawned on me there have been many times that I've been speaking directly to men, that, that God's word is spoken specifically to men about men's ministry and about how we're to live and how we're supposed to relate and I didn't apologize in any way to any woman in the house so uh, we're just flipping the tables a little bit today I think by the time that we're finished with this text everybody in the house both men and women old and young will say God has spoken to my heart today if you have ears to hear God is going to speak to you today and you'll be challenged by it now let's read the text together in 1st Timothy chapter 5 verse 9 and following 
Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up her children shown and shown, has shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints and cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. Now I'm going to move on in the next verses in just a minute, but let me just pause here and let's talk about this for a moment. We're not to think that Paul is giving qualifications for women in order that they might receive the care of the church. That is not what he's talking about here. In fact, I'm so certain of that because God does not require us to act in a certain way in order to receive his grace and care. And we are grateful for that because his grace would not be gracious if it is earned by us, but because every one of us have an unmerited favor that God has rested upon us. We see that carrying forward in this text. So these are not qualifications for enrolling somebody in a care and compassion ministry of the church because they are in desperate need of it. That's not what this is. This is a widow's ministry that widows are engaged in. And he is giving the qualifications for what that kind of ministry position ought to be and how you gauge women who are moving towards that ministry whether they are going to be enrolled in that ministry whether they're going to be actively doing that ministry and so this text is just opening that up for us the it's outlining the qualifications for this call to be in this particular ministry God is calling women listen all the ladies in the house God is calling you to very active and deeply engaged ministry. There's not a single person that God is not calling into ministry. Now, as I mentioned, I've sort of been challenged with this text this past week, not just about how I'm going to communicate it, uh, but I've been challenged by the text. It's pretty easy to understand. It's very straightforward. But my trouble has been, I don't see the ministry that we're about to read about. I don't see that ministry at Meadowbrook. In fact, I cannot name a church that has a ministry that is operated by widows 60 years old and older to the magnitude of what the text is telling us about today. And so when I, when I step back and I see that God has prescribed a ministry and given details about the qualifications of the ministry and even what the ministry should be like, I have to ask, why are we not engaged in this? Why is it not evident in churches today, uh, at least in the Western culture, which I'm insightful to, why is it that we don't have this kind of ministry? Why are widows not engaged at this magnitude of ministry? And it's good for us to ask those things. It, it might be what stirs some in this room to really say, God, if this is what your desire is for me, I want to step forward in this. I want to be responsive to this. I want to be filled with faith and, and empowerment. It's good for us to ask about that. Now, there are other ministries that we've come across in Scripture that God has specifically outlined for the church that we don't have an active pursuit in, and we always should be asking ourselves, why is that? I would say probably some of that is because the church highlights ministry to its members rather than highlighting the ministry of its members. And that little subtle shift is a big shift. 
when we're highlighting constantly what we are doing for you rather than what you are doing for others, we're off track some. And we ought to just, okay, Lord, help us to rethink this. Help us to think differently about this. As a result, many people want to know what the church can provide for them and never, ever expect, God, what is your provision for the church through me? And this is what God is requiring of us. This is what God is giving us opportunity to do, to serve faithfully as his body to other people in the kingdom of God. Maybe this misalignment is exacerbated some by pastors and leaders who communicate if, as if church members are consumers. You're not consumers. We have nothing to sell. Everything that we have has been graciously given to us and provided by Jesus Christ. So there's nothing that, it, that we ought to be trying to sell towards you, pitch you towards. We're here to just talk about God's word, to encourage each other, to walk in God's word, to walk in his truth, and to be obedient to that, faithful to that, and leave the results up to the Lord. So the membership role at Meadowbrook is a servant's roster. It's not a membership role to see what we might be able to qualify for or get. It's a servant's role. I'm your servant. You are the servants for one another. This is the greatest position in our life. Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servants. So when you gather together and when you say, hey, I want to connect to this faith family and I want to join this church, which everybody who's connected to Meadowbrook ought to be members of this church, what you're saying is, I want to be a member of this church. I want to be part of the servant's role. And we don't have time to go into it today, but there's a couple of main significant texts that says, God by his spirit is drawing people in to the membership of this body so that the body might be built up. How are we built up? But by our service to one another. So it's the servant's role that we're, we're participating in. And my friends, the Lord is measuring our success by, by very simple terms. He's measuring it in our faith, in our obedience, in our worship, and in our discipleship. And when we're moving in those directions, am I faithful to you, O God? Am I obedient to you? Am I worshipful to you? And am I a discipler? That's a good place for us to be, and God is pleased with us when we're in that arena. God calls and empowers every person at Meadowbrook to minister. Everybody is a minister at Meadowbrook. That's God's call. That's God's plan, and that's God's work, what he's doing in you. Now, some of you need to step into that ministry call that God has given to you. You've sort of been holding back, thinking, well, maybe things will, will open up for me, or maybe they haven't asked me yet. No, no, step towards the ministry that God has called you. Do you know what that is far better than I know what that is. Step toward that call and trust God to empower you to accomplish that call according to the glory of Christ Jesus. And for the good of the body of Christ, just step towards that. I encourage you to do that. And to do that. And if you do, I am certain that you will experience more significant joy, a greater accomplishment that is eternal in its uh, magnitude, and you will walk closer with Jesus Christ when you are walking step by step in the purposes that he has created for you. I encourage you to do this. Some of you are doing that incredibly well. And you are the people that I just think about, that I'm encouraged about, when I'm just grateful to the Lord about his goodness and grace, you're the people that come to mind, and I thank God for you. Now, two main points today, and here's the first, very simple. 
there is a high calling of ministry for old, older widows. And that's really what this text is about, focusing on older widows and this high calling of God for them. Now, in the early church, there was an official ministry that was operated exclusively by widows. And those widows had some, some uh, qualifications that they had to meet, the first of which they had to be 60 years old or older. So if you're in the house today, if you're 60 or older and you're a widow, God was targeting you. And it could have been that he was calling you to a very specific, very given ministry, one that would take your life focus. And so they were enrolled in this ministry. It seems the church was extending a call to them. And as they were extending calls to them, they were first checking the qualifications. Does this individual meet the qualifications that God has for the people in this ministry? And if they did, they invited them and enrolled them, literally would write them down and enroll them to be part of that ministry. Early church historians like Ignatius and Polycarp and Tertullian and others were writing about this in an extra biblical sense. So we know that this is a very active and engaged ministry. John MacArthur writes, here's what the, the ministry entailed. It was women helping women be baptized, visiting the sick, visiting prisoners, teaching and discipling younger women, helping younger women re rear and nurture their children, providing hospitality for strangers and visitors. And they had this unique assistance in placing orphans in the care of Christian homes. As you know, in that arena of time there was a great need for care for children orphan children those who have been abandoned in the roman world this was Im really important because uh, children were not very well thought of and many times uh, some were abandoned they would become slaves or prostitutes or even into the gladiator system so christian widows had this assignment to find those children and to place them in godly homes thank god for the people of meadowbrook who adopt and foster children who are in need. You are the heroes in this place, and we're grateful for you. If you were in the first century, this would be the ministry of widows. They would help you have children and help you nurture them and raise them, give assistance to you in whatever means was necessary. But now Paul, in this text that we're reading today, doesn't give us the duties of the widows. And I think that's probably because, depending on where you were, at what time in the world you were, those ministries probably shifted some. This care and compassion ministry, the care, care and compassion ministry that we have today is different from that which we had 10 years ago. And some things always remain constant, but time changes, doesn't it? Circumstance change, situations change. And so the, the ministry is fluid of the church. The principles stay the same, but the practice changes. So I think that's part of the reason why Paul didn't give a specific direction for this particular area of ministry. But what he does give us specifics on is the qualification. What are the qualifications for the women who are going to be engaged in this ministry? And they're pretty simple. First of all, you can't be less than 60 years old. That's a, that's a pretty simple one to follow. Secondly, you had to be faithful to your husband. Literally, what the text is saying she is a one-man woman. You might have heard that before in the reverse, a one-woman man, uh, which God prescribes for people, men who are engaged in ministry at a certain level of calling. 
But here it's the opposite. It's for women. She's focused on one man. And I think that's a good way of saying it, that she's focused on the man that she was married to and she was faithful to him. Her life in attitude and action was given to him while he was alive. And that, that was evident. So they're looking back. Is she 60 or older? How does she treat her husband? Now, why is that important? It's important because part of the duties for older women, according to Titus chapter 2, verses 3, 4, and 5, was that they were to help and equip younger women as they were nurturing their families. So younger women need to be encouraged and taught how to love and respect their husbands and how to raise their children. Older women have the requirement of doing it. In fact, let's just turn to that for a moment. Go over to the right a little bit if you're in your Bible and you'll find Titus is right after 2 Timothy. And here's what the text says. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Man, the culture hates that kind of language, doesn't it? Hates that kind of truth and hates that direction. But this is God-ordained. This is God's word. It has always been his word from eternally past, and it will always be his word in the eternity future. No matter what's happening in the 21st century, it does not matter. God's word does not change. It's immutable, and we're grateful for that. So if you're looking for direction as a woman for your family, that text helps you. And if you're looking for direction as an older lady, how to teach a younger lady how to engage in her life, this is a text that gives you clarity on that. So she was to be faithful to her husband because she's going to be teaching younger women how to do the same, how to be faithful to family and how to develop the household and, and really manage it well. And then she is to have a good reputation. Specifically, there's the good reputation that is required in five areas. Number one, raising children. Now, if you're one to read the text in its, in its um, original context and, and words, you'll notice that there's not a pronoun in that directive. It's not raising her children. Paul has specifically left out the pronoun because he wants this to be a woman who has a good reputation in raising children. It could be her children, it could be adopted children, it could be foster children, whatever the reputation needs to be that she is, a, is one to raise children. Now, this is a big deal because children in the Roman culture, which uh, the church at Ephesus is living in the culture where Rome is dominant, in the Roman culture, children were not necessarily wanted at all times. In fact, it was no problem at all if you abandoned your child, left your child exposed because you did not want that baby. Uh, we do the same thing today. We just have the technology today to get rid of the baby before the baby comes out of the womb. It's called abortion. But in the Roman culture, without the technology to do abortions, they would birth the baby and abandon the baby, leaving the baby out in the ailments. Christian women, widows, would often go on the hunt to find those babies, to rescue them. 
I'm grateful for the number of people at Meadowbrook who engage in the local ministry that does the same thing, helping young women understand that life begins at conception. And they're there to help rescue that little baby before it's even born and provide a life for that little one. I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for us as a church because when that plate passes and you put in your offering or you're like Kay and me and you're doing it online, it just comes out of our account, just faithfully giving in that way, a portion of our gift goes straight to the Etowah Pregnancy Testing Center to help rescue little ones in that way. But these women were there and they were looking for those people who maybe because they're in hardship or maybe they didn't want that particular gender of a child or maybe there's defects uh, in the child, they were abandoned. Those women would go and rescue those children and place them into homes or they would care for them themselves. This woman was one who could raise children and did it well, raising them in the way of Christ and his word. And the primary role for older women was to guide them and to do that. So here's a good reputation for a woman who's going to be engaged in this ministry is she raises children well. Secondly, she's to be hospitable. Uh, no Hiltons in the first century, right? No Super 8s, no Motel 6, uh, no, nothing like that. So if you're a traveler and you were going to a place, you were hoping that God would provide for you a brother or sister in Christ who was hospitable, opening their home for you to have a place so that you wouldn't be out in the ailments. These women were to have a good reputation of being hospitable in that way, opening their home to family, friends, and strangers. Hospitality is a big deal. If you're going to be a pastor, you must be hospitable. In our culture, Christianity ought to be a hospitable environment. It ought to be the atmosphere by which you can invite somebody into your home at any given moment and just love on them and encourage them. Have people over. When's the last time you had somebody over? When's the last time you sought somebody specifically that you needed to have over just to love on them? We ought to do that. And to take it to the next level would be to invite someone outside of your family into your home and, and show love, to have a good reputation of raising children, to be hospitable, and wash the feet of the saints. As you leave today, I've got buckets of water available. No, I don't have that. In <laughs> uh, that day, as you know, uh, without paved roads as we know them to be and sidewalks and closed shoes and all that, there was a real need for people to have their feet washed. And although that was typically the role of a servant at the house, these women may have literally washed the feet of the saints, or it could be just an, a way of saying these women are servant-hearted. Whatever the need is, they are going to do the need, even if it's menial, even if you think, well, that ought to be somebody else, not you. These women did that kind of thing. And then fourth, they cared for the afflicted. Now, affliction can come in a variety of ways, can it? It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be spiritual, it could be financial. These women moved towards, with compassion, the afflicted. And they had a good reputation of that. They weren't just hanging back, somebody else will do it. No, they moved forward in that, and their reputation was of that, and they were devoted to good works. 
which means they were very aggressive in it. We, we sort of lose it in the translation, but in the original language of this particular letter, the verb that he's used here is a very aggressive verb. And what he's saying here is that she is diligent. She's eager, seeking out good works, pursuing it in every way. It wasn't just what she did. It was who she is. She is a diligent, good works individual. Now, I want you to notice that the reputation that the women needed to have in order to be enrolled in this ministry, the reputation is built on the characteristics of the individual. Now, catch this because I don't want you to miss it. Every direction of the characteristics that were required were others-focused. None of those were about the individual. Every aspect of their life was others-focused. And for men and women, regardless of our age, that ought to be our heart. Let's get engaged in the lives of other people. Let's focus on them. Let's do as Christ has done and put others above ourselves. Let's humble ourselves and engage in that way. So such qualified women lived a bold standard of Christian life, and that's a life that is worthy to emulate, isn't it? A life that's worthy to live like, because that's a life that Christ has demonstrated for us as well. Now, I want to make a confession to you. Sometimes I think that my wife does too much I think that sometimes she does too much for others. She's wonderfully generous of her time and her energy and her resources. And she's not going to like it when I tell you this, but she will even deprive herself of some things that she may want if she thinks others want or need it. And she'll give to them before she'll take for herself. And my confession is, I sometimes say, Baby, you don't need to do that. You don't constantly have to do that. But the conviction in my heart this week is that although that may be true, she doesn't have to do that. When she is eager to do good works, God is at work in her heart. Maybe God is conditioning her and building in her a ministry and a reputation that is not just helpful for today, maybe, catch this, maybe God is developing in her a ministry that will actually come to fruition in a decade. And God is nurturing that in her. That's exactly what was happening for these women who were over six, 60 and over. They had the reputation of doing these things, not just doing them now, but doing these things in the past. And because of that, when they were 60 and above, it was obvious this is the individual that ought to be called to that. I just want to challenge the men in this room to say, do we really want to discourage what is more than likely God being pursued and his will being followed when our wives are engaged at this level of raising children, showing hospitality, humbly serving other people, caring for others and living a life that is devoted to good work and I would say we do not want to thwart that we don't want to pause that we don't want to impede that in any way we ought to be cheering that on because God is doing a good work in the midst of that so we ought to be engaged in that way and women let me just mention this to you 
press toward what God is calling you to. You don't see yourself in the future as a widow. You don't see yourself as having the ministry of a widow. It makes no difference. Press towards this call of God for your life to be lived in this way. And then let God do what he's going to do in the future. Move towards it. I would say that the Holy Spirit is empowering you, the Word of God is guiding you, and the Church of Christ is encouraging you. Step toward your call in ministry. All right, the second and the final point is this, that there is a high calling for ministry for younger widows. Let's go into the text again, verse 11 now, as we're just continuing 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Time out. That doesn't even sound right. <laughs> I really think that perhaps the ESV is a little bit off in the translation here. Because he's not talking about their former faith. He's talking about a former pledge that they have made a vow to be in the widow ministry. And he's saying, don't let the younger widows make a vow in this ministry because it just might be that they will draw away from that when they have a desire to be married. They may draw away from the pledge, that formally which convicted them and they made a vow, they may pull away from that. I don't think he's saying that they're going to walk away from their faith. I think what he's saying there is they're going to walk away from the vow. And there are many translations in the English Bible that concur with that. But look what he says in verse 13. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Uh, I'm sort of tempted to walk soft shell here, uh, but I'm not going to do that. God's word doesn't need me to back up from it. What God's word needs me to do is move towards it. And that's where you and I find our richest blessings in life, where we move towards it. The culture might be going one way, totally away from the Lord. God's plumb line, his word didn't change. The culture did, but God's word hadn't changed. So we're going to hang out right here and just recognize what's happening. Now, in the first century, in the Roman Empire, there was an expectation for both widows and widowers to remarry. And that expectation was even stronger for women because they were most vulnerable. And that day, they, they didn't have employment like men had. They didn't, don't have the means by which they can have resource and income like men. So there was an expectation. Now, there was a customary 10-month window for mourning, but after that 10 months is up, the expectation is that a widow will remarry, especially if she's young. Now, I've read a couple of different historical accounts on this. Some say that 50 years old was the point. Some say 60 years old was the point. But somewhere around in there, life changed. And the expectation wasn't quite as much that you were going to remarry, wasn't quite as much that you were continue to engage in your work, uh, you, you became more contemplative in that period of your life. 
But if you were younger than that, 60 and younger, the expectation was that you would remarry. In fact, the legislature brought about a law that financially penalized people for not remarrying. It made it difficult for them to have an inheritance outside of their family. So it was really lifted up that, that people would remarry. And so young people, women especially, very vulnerable in that culture, so the family would have to look after them. If the family wasn't alive, then the church would have to look after them. So everybody thought, we're going to remarry. Uh, so young widows were not allowed to take the ministry vow as a widow and serve in the same way those positions that their counterparts who were 60 and above would take. And the reason is simple. They have a high call of God, and that is that they would be married, have children, and manage their household. That's the call of God for their lives. So God calls some people to singleness. There's some in this room that God has called you to singleness, and that's a unique gift, and that God is empowering you in that call to singleness for you to be singularly devoted to his kingdom work. And you will do grand things unto that call. And I'm grateful for you. But the majority of us are not called to singleness. The majority of us are called to marriage. And the call of marriage for many of us includes raising children. And for many women to raise children and manage the household. That is God's call. And so Paul is say, be, saying, be given to that. Don't enroll the younger widows that they may take a vow to do ministry and thereby take a vow to not be married. He's saying, don't do that. Let the younger women remarry and let their vow be in submission to their husband and the husband to be loving and engaging and provisional for their, their wives. So God and people take, his people take vows very seriously. Look on the screen. Here's out of Ecclesiastes and Numbers. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. So it's always been in the Hebrew culture that if you're going to make a vow, you ought to hold to that vow God is going to hold you accountable to that vow or numbers chapter 30 any vow of a widow or a divorced woman anything by which she may bound herself shall stand against her so even if you're a widow if you're uh, a woman it, it, it didn't matter if you're divorced or married if you're making a vow that vow is going to hold and you're going to be held accountable to that God is expecting you to fulfill that so from Paul's instruction to the church, it's evident that God is pro-marriage, that God is pro-marriage and family. And the apostle Paul is telling young widows not to take a vow to not marry, but take the vow to marry that husband that God will give you a longing for and raise kids and manage your household well to his glory. So in his experience, Paul saw that sometimes younger widows just struggled. Their maturity wasn't quite as those who were 60 and above, and they struggled in ways that they were prone to idleness. They would just kind of jump from house to house, and rather than doing ministry from house to house, they're gossiping and being busybodies from house to house. And Paul recognized that. You and I need to recognize that God has given every one of us a high calling and we have a tendency in the flesh towards idleness. 
Now, you and I might not be jumping from house to house, and ladies, you may not be going house to house as a gossip or a busybody, but you might be going profile to profile in your idleness. And you may be allowing that to thwart God's call, high calling for your life. I think this is a passage that challenges us to come back to what God has called us to and be eager to fulfill that calling. So the text speaks very specifically to people, but it has some learning principles for all of us. And as I was just working through it, beginning the first of last week, uh, just noted down some, and I want to just share those with, with you real quick. Just five principles that I think we all can learn from in this text. And here's the first. We should prioritize our families above all. They should be at the height of who we are. Don't let culture reduce God's grand call which is for the majority of us to be married raise children and to manage the household so raising children may be your biological children it may be other children including adoptive and foster children don't miss God's high call for marriage and family engage that culture is trying radically to shift that redefine that denounce that try to pigeonhole but listen God's call is paramount don't thwart God's call for your life to have family marriage and family above all things Ladies, don't let the world belittle you in your priorities. Keep your priorities in order, and they are love God, love your husband, love your children, and manage your household well. And then, don't walk away from God's call in your life. If you really want to learn how to lead and how to serve as a leader, then lead your family. Serve your family. Make sure the priorities are in order for you. Love God, love your wife, love your children, and love others. We ought to be lifting up marriage. Hey, families, there's a big movement that's happened in the last decades for people to act as if they're family without being committed to being a family. This whole shack up thing is not of God. In fact, God says it is a sin that caused his son to go to the cross of Calvary. We ought to help nurture young couples to say, do not live together. God doesn't bless that kind of life. We ought to nurture couples to live a chaste life, a holy life, a righteous life, a pure life, believing that they stay in the boundaries that God's word prescribes, that God will bless them. And when they come together in a surrendered state mutually to one another, and when they make a covenant before God to one another, God will bless that richly. Don't move them away from from that you say oh Randy the times have changed yes the times have changed but God is not and God is holding us accountable to his word and obedience to that and the blessings are flowing when we stay in God's word don't be the parent don't be the grandparent don't be the great-grandparent that encourages your loved ones to go outside of the boundaries of God's word and outside of the blessings of God People are disciplined and judged when they live outside of God's word. So we ought to hold up families as God prescribes families to be and prioritize our families above all others. Secondly, it dawned on me again this week that qualifications for ministry are the biblical norm. It's abnormal not to have a high standard for those who minister in the name of Jesus Christ. 
And we ought to expect that there should be some standards, and we ought to hold people to those standards. Now listen, Christ calls every one of his followers, men, women, old, young, to serve his church and to serve them well. We have a royal mission because we are mission, co-mission with the king himself. God calls people uniquely to serve him. And as he is making that call more and more defined and more unique, the standard goes up and up and up. And we ought to all be living towards that standard, but we ought not reduce the standard for those who are uniquely called of God. Some of you have a unique call of God on your life. It was on you before you were born. As he was forming you in your mother's womb, that call was being shaped and fashioned in you. He was giving you the means and the ability to fulfill that calling, and now he has supercharged it with his Holy Spirit who will empower you to accomplish all things according to his glory. Step towards that, but live holy in a standard that God would require of you. Don't let your call... Go away because your life is not lived unto the way of that call. Step towards it. Live your life according to the call of God. Third, life's tragedies may be the opportunity for your most significant ministry and impact. These women had gone through incredible difficulty, tragedy. As widows, they are most vulnerable. But yet it's because of that calamity in their life that they have the most probable ministry and impact on the gospel and impact on the kingdom. So you may be experiencing some very challenging days. It may be that God is going to use those great challenges for a greater call in ministry. Fourth, the accumulative effect of walking with Christ will be evident in your senior years. Some of our seniors in this house, and I was thinking of you by name this morning, you have an accumulative effect of God's Spirit working in you that is so obvious. Can I just say, it is rich to Meadowbrook that that's the case. It's like there's a crescendo that's building in your life. And now that you're in your latter years, that crescendo has built to a point that God's glory is most displayed because you are active and eager to fulfill the calling of God. Don't live as the culture would call you to live, which is to set back and let others do the work. No, man, you're, you're moving upward. God's work in you is an accumulative effect, and it's like an interest-bearing account that's compounding over a number of decades, and that's God's work in you. Let your work be significant today. Don't step back. This is the time that you are most impacting for the kingdom in this church. And then finally, we see and understand Christ more clearly when we focus our lives on loving him and loving others. These women were others-focused, and we are more in tune to understand Christ, to understand his call in ministry, to understand his life, his word, when we're focused on him and focused on others, but the world is screaming for you to focus on yourself. Now, these women were focusing on others. And what a difference they've made. So my friends, uh, every one of us is called to ministry. Some of us is uniquely called to ministry. Some women, some men, some old, some young. God is working in you. God is calling you to do great work. 
Could I take, ask you to take a step in that? Just take a step forward in that. Don't wait on anybody else. Just trust God, what he's doing in your life. And take a step. Let's pray together. Step by step, we choose now to walk in faith and obedience to you. We are thankful, Father, for the Lord Jesus who showed us how to do that perfectly and for witnesses who have lived before us and live now among us who live a servant-hearted life focusing on you and focusing on others. Thank you for them. For the widows in this room, God, particularly those older widows, I sense from this passage that you are calling them uniquely to minister to organize what has not been organized here before and to live an expression of ministry that we have never had before. Oh God, would you call them? Give your faith and grace that they might walk in obedience to your word. Would you elevate families, the raising of children, the management of the household, the love of husband, the love of wife. Would you do that, Lord? Just birth that in us and develop that in us and create in us a longing for our lives and family to be a demonstration of you and your gospel. And Lord, would you allow ministry to flourish by the calling of the saints, helping our people to understand how to apply the talents and abilities and gifts that you have given to them. And may it all be for the glory of Christ and for the good of your people.